really it's really interesting that when we were planning the we we sort of planned about a month ahead. Yeah. And I'm gonna sit down, I think I don't think I meant to be so formal at this gym. But um but when we were planning, because we knew Dave and Ace were going away, so we sat down and we planned what we'd be preaching on over the next little while. And my topic for today was meant to be field and talent. But I can't remember what it was I wanted to talk about under that topic. And no one who was at the meeting, which was David Ainsley, Jeanette and me, can remember what I was going on about. <laughs> and I sat there thinking, I don't know, I could preach on talents and I could preach on fields, but I don't know what brought the two of them together. And anyway, about the middle of the week, I thought, well, I need actually to be preaching on healing today. Don't know why, but I need to preach on healing. So that was kind of fortuitous because it meant it didn't matter that I didn't remember yeah. what it was I was supposed to be to be speaking on. So my title today, as you know, I'm always well organised. We've got a PowerPoint, we've got the scriptures, we've got all those sorts of things. But it's a long title, so I've only actually got half of it there, and the rest of it will come at the end of our teaching this morning. But I've titled this morning's address, You Are Not Sick and Are Trying to Be Healed. And so you should be asking, so if that's not what we are, then what are we? But what I want to do is to have a little look at sickness and healing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, certainly from the time of Moses on, there was a significant element that linked sickness with disobedience and as you know when Moses went up Mount Sinai God gave him the Ten Commandments and then in Leviticus and Deuteronomy those two books most of the law is actually expanded and so the way in which God wanted his people to live he set out in considerable detail in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy But also, as the children of Israel were coming out of slavery in Egypt, God also spoke to them about his law. And in Exodus 15, this is the promise that God makes to his people. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you and actually that can equally be be translated I am the Lord your physician. So here God is actually linking wellness or health to obedience and of course we know that Moses wasn't actually gone long from Israel before they actually fell into disobedience because he comes down off the mountain and he finds that they've made the golden calf to worship. And as a colleague of mine often says, it's so easy to worship what we can see, isn't it? And so many of the world's religions are actually based on worshipping something 
we can see. But our God is invisible. In the words of the hymn, invisible, immortal. God only wise. So we actually worship a being who we cannot see. As an aside, we know of course that Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so as we build a relationship with Jesus Christ, we get to know what God is like. But it's a really important point to make, I think, that under the law, sickness was seen as the consequence of sin. And there is a whole lot of law that existed to deal with sickness. And I don't have time here, and it would be too boring for you for me to read out all of the scriptures that are relevant here. But chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus, for example, um, set out a whole range of laws concerning sickness. In chapter 15 of Leviticus, there are laws for healthy living set out. Importantly, in the book of Proverbs, there's a clear link between how we think and what we speak and the level of health that we experience. And I know in my own Christian walk, it is so important to understand that the words you speak, which of course reflect what's in your heart, they actually frame your world. And if you don't want to accept the idea that they frame your world, they certainly ex- um, ex- they certainly frame the way in which we experience the world. And I, I felt really challenged on this even in the last couple of days because I got a text yesterday morning from a close friend of mine who's in hospital. He was admitted to hospital Friday night with suspected appendicitis and they were talking about operating. And he and I would be the most faith-filled people in our workplace. And we're always encouraging our students to have faith you know, based on what they understand as God's provision for them through his grace. And here I am working on this presentation for today. My good friend Dwayne is lying in a hospital bed waiting for an operation. And of course yesterday I get sinus as well. And that's only a minor thing of course. But it seems that whenever you decide to take a stand on healing, there comes a challenge. But nevertheless, in the Old Testament, there are many, many instances of divine healing where sick people have been healed by God. There are enough instances for us to start thinking, well, maybe God actually is our physician. And through their experience, the Israelites had come to believe, by the time we get to New Testament times, that sickness was caused by sin of the individual, or perhaps sin of the Father, and then carried on down through subsequent, uh, the effects I should say, carried on down through subsequent generations. But if you go back to Leviticus, the law was something that applied not simply to individuals, but there was a corporate element to the law as well. And corporately, we cannot expect there to be no sickness if there's some kind of corporate sin. 
But by the time of Jesus, that idea has more or less disappeared. And most people assumed that if someone was sick, it was because there was sin in their life or sin in the life of one of their forebears. And that actually can't really be sustained. And we'll explain why. So that's sickness healing under the Old Covenant. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures that apply. But the main point there is that we know under the Old Testament law that if Israel disobeyed the law and if individuals within Israel disobeyed the law, sickness would be a result. iPad just went to sleep a little bit. I want to turn now to sickness and healing under the new covenant. And the first scripture I have is actually from Isaiah chapter 53. And you think, oh well that's Old Testament scripture, isn't it? That's true. And there are many, many references to the coming of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Jeremiah, in many other places in the Psalms as well. Even in Genesis, way back in Genesis, there are indications that God has already got a plan in place to deal with sin and the effects of sin. Now when you read the book of Isaiah as a whole, it's a book about judgment, but it's also a book about salvation. Because Israel time after time after time went against God's laws and against God's character and they did worship other idols. They got engaged in other cultures, they intermarried, they did all kinds of things and many, many times the religious leaders, the priests fell into exploitation of the people and of course God hates the injustice that comes about as a result of oppression. But despite the fact that Israel continually drew away from God and the fact that God allowed them to fall into the hands of their enemies, that was the punishment which was their due under the law. Despite that, God kept saying to them, I will bring you back. I will call you back. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That even under the the law of the Old Testament, God was saying, I will bring you back. I will bring you back. Even in the Old Testament, it wasn't actually by the deeds of Israel that they were reconciled to God. God was saying, I will do it. And this short passage that I have on the screen from Isaiah chapter 53, which is verse 4 and 5, is just one example of God declaring his intention to bring Israel back and to make everything right, despite their continual falling into sin. And these two verses, verses 4 and 5, refer directly to Jesus. And this, of course, is quoted in that 1 Corinthians um, verse that Jeanette read out 
in her communion message. But this is what it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And I know this passage is often read in churches. Perhaps it's read so often that we become familiar with it and we don't spend a little bit of time meditating on it. But if we have a look at the first two lines, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, that's actually about physical affliction. And Jesus refers to this in the book of Matthew, and I've got that scripture a little later on. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. The we there, that's referring to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, who of course it was, who effectively put him on the cross. So this is the mistaken belief that the Jews had, that he was smitten by God because of his sin. The truth, however, is that he was wounded for our sins, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace. That peace there, Hebrew Shalom, translated peace consistently in English translations of the Bible, but it's actually a much, much bigger concept, and I've talked about this in the not-too-distant past. It's really about wholeness in every area of our lives. And uh, there are five areas that we can think of. Of course, wholeness spiritually, physically, mentally, socially, and financially. Five areas in which God intends peace to reign. And Jesus was chastised or punished so that we might experience peace in all its fullness and completeness. And in the context of healing, the last line says, and by his stripes we are healed. And it's interesting in that, that Old Testament quote, the word are is used, which means it's a present and a continuous thing. A present and continuous thing. Now that scripture of course is looking forward to the cross. In Matthew 8, verses 16 to 17, there's a record of Jesus healing many, many sick people who came to him. And there are dozens of instances in the New Testament, of course, they're actually unnumbered. We know that Jesus didn't uh, refuse to heal people who came to him for healing. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So Jesus was the embodiment of that prophetic word in Isaiah 53. And then that last line that I read out from the chapter in Isaiah is quoted in 1 Peter 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, most commentaries refer to the fact that Peter has directly quoted that last phrase from Isaiah and the ideas incorporated in the verse are from Isaiah chapter 53. But notice he's no longer saying by whose stripes you are healed, by whose stripes you were healed. And remember the last word of Jesus from the cross? It is finished. And in the Greek, and the Greek word is perfect past tense. It means done and dusted. It's something that is done in the sense of finality. There is nothing that can undo it. There is nothing that can undo our healing because it's already been accomplished by Jesus at the cross. Now if it's all that easy, if it is all that easy, why is my friend Blaine in hospital? Why have friends, uh, relations died ill? Why did your mum have her experience? Why did that happen? We sat on the bed of a 13 year old boy as he died from uh, leukaemia. Remember Edward? Mm. And he held on long enough for his grandma and grandpa to arrive from the UK and he lived just long enough for them to come into the room and he died about an hour after that. 13 year old boy. Great friend of mine who died from he had pancreatic cancer. Wonderful, wonderful man. I, I, um, I was with him right up until his last hours. In fact, I think I was the first person to see him other than his wife after, after he died. Why does this all happen? Well, we live in a fallen world. And it's a world in which there is sickness. You see, the world is not perfect. And we can't expect not to be affected by the world. We have a way out, but because we are in this world, we are affected by the sin that is in this world. Not only that, we have an enemy, Satan, who, according to the Gospel of John, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So what Jesus has achieved on the cross Satan wants to rob from us. And this is one of the perplexing things about the Christian walk. If Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, if by his stripes we were healed, how can Satan actually be in this world and rob us of our healing? Because we live in a fallen world where sin abounds and as a result very sickness. So, although Satan is a defeated foe, we actually have to enforce his defeat until Jesus comes again. In fact, you could say 
in answer to the question, what is the role of the Christian today? The role of the Christian today is to enforce the victory won by Jesus Christ until he comes again. The good news is that we can fight back. That is, we don't have to allow Satan to steal from us, to kill us and our loved ones, and to destroy all that God has purposed for us. This is what Jesus said. He said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's also recorded in the book of John. In fact, the first phrase and the second phrase that I've quoted up there are from the same verse. Satan's roaming around trying to, to rob, to kill and destroy. That's the first half of that verse. And the second half explains that Jesus came so that we might have life and life more abundantly. And, you know, sometimes the English language just isn't enough to fully explain what the original biblical text meant. But the word abundant in the Greek, it actually means overflowing, more than enough, more you could ever dream of or, or want. That's the kind of abundance that Jesus came to give us. He came to give us life. That doesn't sound like people being sick. If you go back to the numerous proverbs that talk about the power of the tongue in framing our world, one of the weapons that we have as Christians is the words of Jesus Christ. When Jesus himself was tempted by Satan, what did he say? He said, it is written, referring back to the books of the law. When we come under attack, or when our families come under attack, or when our friends come under attack, we can actually boldly state to Satan, this is what my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ said. I have come that people like me and my friends or my child or my auntie or uncle may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Throw back at the devil the words of Jesus. And in another context, the, um, well, I'm not sure whether it was necessarily the Apostle James, because James was a very common word back in the um, days of the early church. But in the book of James, James, we know that James wrote it, but we're not too sure of James who, whether it was actually the brother of Jesus or one of the others, but it doesn't really matter. The wisdom here is actually in the context of living a godly life, but as I meditated on this word, I felt that it was actually a word for us today. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It's a good idea to submit to God in all things. Be that living your life in a way that reflects his holiness, or living a life that reflects the victory that Jesus Christ won for us on the cross. If you have a look at 
the early verses in that uh, James chapter 4, you will see that. James is actually talking there about Christians who have fallen back into worldly ways and he's saying that the, the antidote to slipping back into worldly ways is to be submitted to God because you're either submitted to God or you're submitted to the ways of the world. So submit to God, come under His authority, resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? I would suggest that you resist the devil by quoting back at him the words of Jesus. You say to the devil, by his stripes I was healed. Done and dusted. Past tense, perfect, complete. It's done and it cannot be undone. And we can't uncrucify Jesus Christ. It's a historical fact. It cannot be undone. The devil needs you to tell him that constantly because he's a big, fat liar. Well, he's not actually, but he's a liar. And he will try to talk you into believing that you're sick because you've committed some sin. And I mentioned earlier that in, in the time of Jesus, a lot of Jews believed that if someone was sick, it was because of sin and or, or the sin of the Father without necessarily recognising that there was something fallen about the world in which they live and through the fallenness of the world sin comes in. These days, we're not often accused of having committed sin if we're sick, but a lot of times we are accused of not having enough faith. Now I would like to suggest that it's not necessarily a faith thing. It could be but we live in this world which is still a fallen world. And so we come under the attack of the devil. And we can expect that one of the persecutions that he tries to put on us is sickness. Because Jesus warned us the devil is going to persecute us. But our weapons in the face of those attacks of Satan are actually our words and our submission to God. I for one are very reluctant to say to somebody you don't have enough faith. Who am I to know that? But what I do know is that I can stand with someone like my friend and pray in faith believing in the word of God and believing in the efficacy of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God desires that we be in health. And in the salutation at the beginning of the third epistle of John, it starts by saying, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So, although that was an epistle written by an apostle, don't you like that? An epistle written by an apostle? I think it's also an expression of the heart of God. That God's desire is that we would be in health. And we can be confident of that. That God never 
ever put sickness on us to grow us or to see how we react in a time of trial. Sickness was never God's idea in the first place. It is not God's idea now. It is the outcome of the fallenness of the world in which we live. God's heart is that we would prosper in everything and be in health just as our soul prospers. So this is where I started. We are not sick and trying to be healed. I think one of the great messages to us is what I would call post-resurrection people of God is that we are healed and the devil is trying to rob us of divine health. And you know that's a kind of subtle switch in our way of thinking that if I come under attack, if I have sinus or if I have a more serious illness, perhaps cancer or or some other um, sickness, don't think of ourselves as being sick and trying to get healed. So what I try to do these days, as best I can, and I'm still working on it, I avoid using the word I am sick. Because as soon as I say that, that then brings up a mental image of me being sick and trying to do something. And all of a sudden, it becomes a work of mine. And so faith becomes my work. God says, this stuff doesn't happen. Why work our salvation, which includes our healing? God didn't say just part of us. He said everything. So healing is part of the salvation deal. So it's not by works. So I don't think we can get healed by some kind of huff and puff faith. That's not to say we shouldn't do anything. We should pray. We should stand on the word of God. But that's affirming the work that Jesus Christ has already done. So we're not sick and trying to be healed. It's not our trying. We're healed. Why? Because in 2 Peter we are told by his stripes we were healed. So our divine state, if you like, is one of divine health. We are healed, but the devil who spends his time trying to rob, to kill and destroy us He's the one who's trying to put the sickness on us. And as Jeanette referred in her communion message, communion is a remembrance of what God did through Jesus, that we might be in health. So our state, our natural state, if you like, as a result of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection is a state of health. So when Jeanette and I pray, we, we give thanks to God for divine health, divine prosperity, and the outworking of divine purpose in our lives. And we focus on the fact that we already have divine health, and that if we come under attack through sickness, we stand on his word, and we quote to the devil, until we go blue in the face and he must go red in the ears, by his stripes 
we were healed. And we're still working on this, but we try to make our, if you like, default position, we are healed, we walk in divine health, it's the devil who's trying to rob us of our health, as he tries to rob us of every other benefit of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So let's just pray. Father, we we thank you that we see such a pattern of your desire to heal in the Old Testament. And Lord, we, we thank you that time and time again you promised Israel, you said, I will, I will, I will. And Lord, when you promised to Israel that you would bring them back to you, dealing, uh, healing, I should say, was part of a complete package. Lord, we acknowledge that through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross, we now have divine healing. Heavenly Father, divine health, Lord God, as, as sons and daughters of the living God, as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, Lord, adopted into your family, we actually have divine health as part of our inheritance. And Lord, we, we don't have a sense of condemnation if we have a sniffle or a cough. Uh, Lord, it's not about being condemned, but Heavenly Father, it's about coming to the point where we have such a revelation of the fact that your desire for us and your provision is that we would be in health just as our soul prospers. Father, we thank you. We acknowledge the capacity that we have to speak words of truth and Lord, as it says in the book of John, as we speak those words of truth, the devil will flee. And our Lord, we thank you that there's no ifs, buts or maybes about that word will. He will flee. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can have confidence that we are people who can live in health, who can enjoy prosperity, Lord, the kind of prosperity that is wrapped up in that Hebrew word, Shalom. Father, bless us now as we wind up our service and as we enjoy some fellowship. And Heavenly Father, we pray that our lives will manifest the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I um, took care of the practice saying...